Welcome to the Military OneSource podcast. Military OneSource is an official program of the Defense Department with tools, information, and resources to help families navigate all aspects of military life. For more information, visit militaryonesource.mil. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Bruce Moody. Today we are talking taxes. I have uh, two guests with me. Um, Susan Mitchell is Executive Director of the Armed Forces Tax Council, and Kelly Smith is Associate Director of Military Community Support Programs. And a colleague, welcome to the both of you. Hi, Bruce. Thank you, Bruce. Kelly, let's start with you, because what we want to do is talk about your side of military community and, and family policy, which is military one source and mill tax. So tell us about mill tax. Yeah, Bruce, thank you for the opportunity to share about mill tax and how it is different from other tax preparation services that's out there in the community. So mill tax is the only tax preparation and filing software provided by the Defense Department that's designed exclusively for our military community. The software that's used in MILTAX is developed specifically to address scenarios that we know that our military families face, whether we're talking about combat pay or having multiple moves or addressing the Spouse Residency Relief Act. MILTAX is there to provide assistance with those military-specific situations and scenarios. And the thing about MILTAX, Bruce, is that it's convenient. We have our trained experts that are readily available to provide support to those that are filing their taxes. So if you have a question about filing, if you need help with walking through the steps of filing, um, you can always call Military One Source at 1-800-342-9647 to get that support. But then you can also use our MILTAX e-filing software. Again, that's 100% free, regardless of your rank or your income. And you can file your federal return and up to three state returns completely for free using the MILTAX e-filing software, which is available on militaryonesource.mil. Yeah, traffic to Military One Source spikes around uh, tax season. Can you do me a, a quick favor, though? Because you say it's free. A lot of services offer free. But it's kind of like free with an asterisk. But ours is 100% free. So what does that really mean? Good question. People are like, is it really, really free? And it really is, Bruce. So for folks that are filing using our MailTax e-filing software, again, there are no um, limits with regards to rank or pay grade or income. Um, you could be across the spectrum and still use that software completely for free. All of the services through Military One Source are free. That is a benefit um, that our service members and their families are entitled to. So there's no charge for calling in and asking questions about filing your taxes. Whether you use our MailTax e-filing software or you use another provider, we're still there to provide that support. Absolutely. And we'll get a link in the program notes. I know you're really excited uh, about this time of year and uh, getting MailTax uh, used by as many folks in the military community as possible. Thanks a lot, Kelly, for joining us and for getting us started. Let's uh, turn to Susan Mitchell. Uh, Susan, you're the executive director of the Armed Forces Tax Council. Tell us a little bit about the Armed Forces Tax Council, if you would. Sure, Bruce. The Armed Forces Tax Council um, essentially coordinates you know, all tax matters that affect federal, state, local 
and, and even foreign tax liabilities of of members of the armed forces, and also the obligations that military departments have as employers. So um, the council is essentially made up of an executive director, uh, which I'm serving in that position, and then three members from the OSD staff, and then one member from each of the military services to include um, the Coast Guard. So we have quarterly meetings. We discuss um, the tax issues that are facing the department and determine uh, what we can do to assist the department, but also individual service members. So that means tax law is totally your jam, and this is the most wonderful time of the year for you. Absolutely, I would uh, I would agree with with that. It's always good to be back to talk taxes, particularly in late March. All right, great, great, great. Okay, so let's get into it. Um, so let's start with a topic that impacts every taxpayer, and that's the tax filing deadline. Uh, in this case, for twenty twenty two taxes, are there any tax filing extensions uh, like there were in past tax filing seasons? Well, this year, the deadline for filing your 2022 tax return or to file an extension um, and to pay any taxes uh, that, that a taxpayer may owe is April 18th. And that's for most taxpayers. Um, and so that folks are aware, there are some longstanding tax filing ex- extensions that are available uh, for service members who are stationed outside of the United States and, and Puerto Rico. And that's a two-month extension for filing and paying uh, any tax that might be due. And so for a calendar year return, that two-month extension is to June 15th. And it's automatic. They don't have to um, you know, file anything uh, if you're overseas um, asking uh, for it to be extended to June 15th. If they're unable to, to file their return by uh, either that two-month extension date, taxpayers can request an additional extension. Um, and this goes for the folks that have a uh, tax filing date of, of April 18th as well. Um, and that extension is to October 15th. If the 15th falls on a Sunday, then um, it goes to the next business day. And in order to get that extension, they do that by filing Form 4868 um, before their date runs out, either the June 15th or the uh, April 15th date. But any tax that's due, uh, any payments made after that April 18th or the June 15th deadlines um, is going to be subject to both interest charges and possibly failure to pay uh, penalties. So that's important to note. Of course, of course. Now, for service members who are deployed in a combat zone, remind us, if you would, about the details on the combat zone extension. Sure. Um, for those service members who are deployed in a combat zone, the deadline for filing and paying uh, taxes is generally extended for uh, the period of their service in the combat zone plus 180 days after their last day in the combat zone. And that extension also includes the number of days left before the tax filing uh, deadline. So I'll, I'll mention here also that this year, taxpayers in most of California and, and parts of Alabama and Georgia too, now have until October 16th to file uh, you know, various federal individual and business tax returns and, and make any tax payments um, because those areas were declared disaster areas um, due to 
severe winter storms. And then in California, there was flooding, landslides, and mudslides. So that's a a fairly recent change. Previously, the deadline had been postponed to May 15th for those areas, uh, but it's now um, till uh, October 16th. And incidentally, spouses are entitled to the same deadline uh, extensions. All right. Now, speaking of spouses, are there any new tax rules relating to spouses? Well, I think it's always important to address, you know, any changes that are specific to spouses. So I'm glad you asked. Um, I know that a lot of military spouses are teachers. So I like to mention any business deductions for teachers uh, in particular. But for the 2022 tax year, teachers and, and other educators um, who have to pay out of pocket for books, um, supplies, you know, COVID-19 protective items, which we are still doing, um, other materials used in the classroom, uh, et cetera, they can deduct up to $300 of these out-of-pocket expenses. An eligible educator is anyone who is a kindergarten through 12th grade teacher, uh, instructor, counselor, principal, or even an aide uh, in a school for at least 900 hours during the school year. Incidentally, unfortunately, homeschooling parents are not eligible to take that deduction. The good thing about this particular deduction is it's an above the line deduction. So you don't have to itemize to claim it. I also like to mention self-employed taxpayers when talking about spouses because many are working in the gig economy and, um, and what I'll mention there is just remember that any income that is earned is reportable to the IRS. I'll mention also uh, in terms of spouses, the student loan interest deduction because many spouses are taking um, classes. And I know a lot of people are waiting to see if and when President Biden will cancel student loan debt. But even if your student loan debt isn't canceled or uh, only some of it's forgiven, folks may still be able to deduct up to $2,500 in student loan interest paid for a particular year. So just know that the credit amount is gradually reduced to zero if your modified adjusted gross income, your AGI, is over a certain amount though. So give you, for instance, um, for married couples filing a joint return, the phase out range kicks in at 145,000. It used to be 140,000 last year. And that's while the credit is fully phased out if the modified AGI exceeds 175,000. So for folks that have an AGI under 175,000, then they they can still take advantage of that uh, deduction. For the general population, to to include the military, if you received educational assistance benefits from your employer, um, you know, perhaps under like an educational assistance program or or something like that, you can exclude up to 5,250 of those benefits. And normally it's all considered taxable income, but but just remember that that's suspended through 2025 for that first 5,250. Also, Bruce, I'll I'll mention a change to the residency rules under the Service Member Civil Relief Act. I was just asked about this uh, earlier in the week. 
as you know, and the listeners, if they're in the military, their state of legal residency is, is usually their home of record. And that's the state recorded by the military as your home when you joined the military. Uh, and that state is considered your resident state as long as you're on active duty. So even if you're stationed in another state, you're still considered a resident of your state of, of legal residency. So what about spouses though? Before 2009, Military spouses generally had to pay income taxes to the state in which their military spouses were stationed. So when the Military Spouse Residency Relief Act was passed in 2009, military spouses could then choose to be treated as if they still lived in their previous state of residence. But, you know, even up until 2018, it was also required that the residents had to be established with their military spouse at the time that they both lived there. That's no longer the case. After 2018, non-military spouses can use their military spouse's resident state when filing their taxes. And that's regardless of when the marriage um, happened. Um, and then there was another change that's been recent, and it came about in the Veterans Auto and Education Improvement Act of 2022, which became law on January 5th. And that further amends the tax residency rules for spouses. The new law allows service members and their spouses to pick the state in which they pay income taxes from three options, the legal residence or domicile of the service member, the legal residence or domicile of the spouse, or the current permanent duty station of the service member. So essentially the, the new law expands to spouses a residency protection already offered to service members that allows them to remain tied to a former legal residency, even if they no longer physically live there. So that's good. It may be useful information to say that, you know, some states require the, the non-military spouse to declare their non-residency for withholding purposes every year. And so folks just need to check with their individual states, um, particularly when they PCS to a new state and they're, and they're not used to what the laws are. And some employers require the spouse to declare their non-residency on an annual basis. Thanks, Susan. A lot of great information there. Uh, as we move on, over the last couple of years, we saw a lot of tax changes. We saw the customary increases uh, to tax brackets, the standard deduction, as well as extensions and expansions to a few tax provisions. One of those COVID-related tax changes dealt with the uh, economic impact payments. Do we need to be concerned with the COVID-era payments uh, on this year's tax return? In 2022, there are no stimulus check payments. Um, and as a result, there's no recovery rebate credit either for the 2022 tax year. Got it. Okay, new topic. I've heard that there are changes uh, which have been made to various uh, itemized deductions. Uh, tell us about that, if you would. Definitely. First, I'll mention the standard deduction. After an inflation adjustment, the, the standard deduction amounts were increased for 2022, as is normal, uh, to account for that inflation. So for instance, married couples get $25,900, um, which is up by about $800 from last year, plus $1,400 for each spouse that's aged 65 or older. 
and singles can claim uh, 12,950 standard deduction, and that's up by about $400 from last year. They get uh, $14,700 if they're at least 65 years old and, and single. Itemized deductions remain mostly the same. For most filers, taking the higher standard deduction is, is going to be more practical um, and saves the hassle of you know, keeping track of receipts. But if you have enough tax deductible expenses, you might benefit from, from itemizing. Here's a change for this year that a lot of folks may be interested in. Starting with the 2022 tax year, uh, third-party payment settlement networks, so places like PayPal or Venmo, are going to send you a form 1099-K if you're paid over $600 during the year for goods and services. And that's regardless of the number of transactions that you had. Previously, the form was only sent if you received over $20,000 in gross payments and participated in more than 200 uh, transactions. Um, so I think that's a, a big change um, where more people than ever will get a 1099K form when filling out their income tax returns for 2022. And something to keep in mind, just remember that that 1099K reporting is only for the money received for goods and services. It doesn't apply to payments from family or friends. So that's one thing. Itemized deductions haven't changed much for 2022, but I, I think it's probably still worth pointing out that the deduction for state and local income taxes, property taxes, and real estate taxes is capped at $10,000. The mortgage interest deduction is limited to $750,000 of indebtedness. Um, but people who had a million dollars um, of home mortgage debt before December 16th, 2017, uh, will still be able to deduct the interest on that loan. Another one is only medical expenses that exceed 7.5% of uh, AGI can be deducted in 2022. And a little bit of change with the charitable donations. Um, so this year, the annual income tax deduction limits for gifts to um, public charities are 30% of AGI for contributions of non-cash assets uh, if they're held for more than one year, and then 60% of AGI for contributions of, of cash. You know, a lot of folks are going to remember the generous above-the-line deduction for up to $300 of charitable cash contributions, um, which was actually $600 for a married couple filing a joint return. And that expired at the end of 2021. So as a result, you know, only people who claimed the standard deduction on their tax return um, rather than claiming itemized deductions on Schedule A, we're, we're allowed to take uh, this deduction. Um, and, you know, the last one I'll, I'll mention is um, that, you know, of course, uh, no miscellaneous itemized deductions are allowed any longer. All right. Let's get into the earned income tax credit. This is a huge benefit to many of our junior service members. I understand the EITC has had some changes for the 2022 tax season. Do I have that right? You do. And that's right. Last year, the earned income tax credit allowed you know more workers without qualifying children to claim the earned income tax credit on their return. And that included both younger and older Americans. The childless EITC amounts were higher too. 
But once again, those enhancements expired at the end of last year. So um, without the 2021 improvements in place, the minimum age for a childless worker to claim the EITC jumps back up to 25 years old for, for 2022 tax returns. It was 19 years old in 2021. The maximum age limit is uh, 65 years old, and that had been eliminated um, in the 2021 tax year. It is now back in play for 2022. The maximum credit available for childless workers also drops by uh, almost $1,000 from $1,502 to $560 for the 2022 tax year. Also, if you recall the rule allowing you to use your 2019 earned income to calculate your EITC, uh, if in fact it boosted your credit amount, that rule no longer applies. Um, so lots of changes with EITC. As with many credits, there are several inflation-based adjustments that modify the credit for the 2022 tax year. So even though some of the enhancements of last year's um, credit have expired, the credit itself is higher for most folks and the EITC phase-out ranges were adjusted to um, to account for inflation as well. Well, Susan, this is just great. I, I, and we're going to keep on going. I'm just really am- amazed at how much information we're packing into this episode. Really appreciate your help. Uh, let's get into the child tax credit. Basically, what should taxpayers with children expect? Absolutely, Bruce. The The credit is lower for tax year 2022 after it was bumped up for 2021. The child tax credit for this year has now reverted back to its pre-2021 um, format, uh, I would say. The credit is now $2,000 per child, and that's for age 16 years or, or younger. And it's subject to a phase out starting at $400,000 for joint filers and $200,000 for single filers. Uh, incidentally, for other qualified dependents, because we know there are a lot of military families that have um, perhaps parents that are living with them, uh, et cetera, um, taxpayers can claim an additional $500 credit. Um, for some lower income taxpayers, the 2022 credit is only partially refundable and, and they have to have earned income of at least $2,500 to take advantage of the credit's limited refundability. And there's not going to be any monthly advance payments of the credit in 2022. When we start talking about credits, I I, uh, feel like it's a good time to mention that tax credits, which reduce the tax that you owe dollar for dollar, are normally better than deductions, which reduce how much of your income is actually subject to tax. Uh, I'll just end with that. So that was the child tax credit. And I understand there's been some changes to the child and dependent care credit compared to the significant changes uh, made to this credit for tax year 2021. Is that correct? That's right, Bruce. Um, You'll recall that there were some significant improvements made to that child and dependent care credit for 2021. and, um, And the credit was also fully refundable in 2021. For 2022, the child and dependent care credit is um, non-refundable, and the maximum credit percentage also drops from 50% to 35%. Um, There's also fewer care expenses that are eligible for the credit. And um, so 
you know, for 2022, the credit is only allowed for up to $3,000 in expenses for one child and $6,000 for more than one child. So to put this in perspective, when the 35% maximum credit percentage is applied, um, that puts the top credit for 2022 at $1,050, which is, of course, 35% of $3,000. Um, and that's, that's for one child and then, um, a max of 2100, uh, if you have two or more children. In addition, um, it's only allowed for families making less than 15,000 a year in 2022, uh, instead of making 125,000 per year, which was required in 2021. So huge changes, you know, after that 15,000 a year, uh, the credit starts to phase out. So um, like I said, these are big changes for 2022 to, th- to this particular tax credit. And we're just not going to have near as many military families be able to um, take advantage of, of this credit as they were in the past. So you've been talking about federal income tax changes, but should folks be aware of any state income tax changes? Yes, in in terms of refunds um, of state taxes paid, that the IRS has determined, in their words, uh, in the interest of sound administration and other factors, um, that taxpayers in many states um, are not going to need to report these payments on their twenty two uh, tax returns. Um, this is a good thing, um, obviously. So specifically, I'll mention the states that are affected. So people in these states do not need to report um, their state payments on their 2022 tax return. States of California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Florida, Hawaii, um, Idaho, Illinois, Indiana, Maine, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, Oregon, Pennsylvania, and Rhode Island. Alaska is also part of that group, but um, there's some more nuanced information for Alaska residents. And then um, in addition, many people in Georgia, Massachusetts, South Carolina, and Virginia also will not include state payments in income for, for federal tax purposes if they meet certain requirements. For those taxpayers, the, the state payments are not going to be included in your income your federal for federal tax purposes if the payment's a refund of state taxes paid and either the recipient claimed the standard deduction or itemized their deductions but still didn't receive a tax benefit. So I know you don't have a crystal ball, but do you have any information on what the next te- uh, tax filing season is going to be looking like or even, or even beyond next season? You know, Bruce, I always say this is actually a great time of year to start thinking about next year's return, even though tax filing season is still months away. You know, in regard to withholding taxes, uh, et cetera, you, you've got all your paperwork available to you out. You've just filed your tax returns. So I say that it's a, it's a good time to, to take a look at those documents, estimate what your income might be for the the next year and use the IRS uh, withholding calculator to figure out 
how your withholding should change. If you're getting too big of a refund, then you know you might want to keep it the same if your income is going to go up. But obviously, if you're having to pay, you might want to rethink things as well. The more tax planning you do, the more money uh, you might be able to save. And so, you know, if you see something now that can reduce your tax bill, there's still plenty of time to act before the year runs out. But, you know, tax planning also requires an awareness of, of what's new and, and changed from last year. And so that's why it's helpful, the things that we're talking about during this uh, podcast. I will say that the year 2026 is looming. Um, and what I'm referring to is the expiration of many tax provisions that were enacted in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, uh, the TCJA of 2017. And that act sunsets... Um, uh, quite a few beneficial tax provisions on December 31st, 2025. And I'll just give you a few examples. You know, tax rates are going up after 2025. The standard deduction is going to be cut in half. The child tax credit is going to revert back to $1,000 per child. Exemptions will return approximately $5,000 per person. And then any tax free treatment for student loans forgiven due to death or disability are going to end. And also the $10,000 limit on itemizing state and local taxes will end. Um, and there's more changes, but uh, off the top of my head, those are, those are a few examples of uh, some of the provisions that will change on December 31st, uh, 2025. Yeah. And those are probably just a few of the many changes coming our way, which is why we're, we, we love having you with us and we're excited to have you uh, back on the podcast. But before we end, Susan, uh, do you have any last bits of advice for service members and their family members for this tax season? I think it's good to point out some resources that taxpayers can go themselves a great resource is irs.gov. Another valuable resource is IRS Publication 3, uh, the Armed Forces Tax Guide. Also, I, I like to mention, you know, keep in mind that the Where's My Refund link on irs.gov um, after you've filed your return and want to check on the status of your refund. Um, updates to Where's My Refund are made once a day, usually overnight. And even though the IRS issues most refunds within 21 days, it's possible that a refund may take longer. So just know that. But that website is um, updated once a day. Taxpayers should also, you know, consider the time that it takes for banks to, to post the refund to the taxpayer's account. And then, of course, you know, people waiting for a refund in the mail should plan for extra time. There are free tax preparation services on many installations through uh, the Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Program, and those VITA sites are open to active duty service members um, and their families for free, and, and oftentimes retirees as well. And of course, as Kelly uh, mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, uh, MilTax is a wonderful service as well through Military OneSource. Um, what's great about that MilTax program is that service members have available to them tax consultants by phone if they have questions when, when completing their returns. In terms of tips, I like to mention that the fastest and most reliable way to file taxes is electronically and to choose direct deposit if you're expecting a refund. Most times if you use electronic 
software, it will perform the more um, complex calculations and, and it's going to catch any math errors that would perhaps occur if filing a paper return. I do know that some of the common mistakes that the IRS sees and, and which may cause a return to be uh, rejected include you know, a wrong social security number, a math mistake, or omitting an item that an employer has already reported as income to the IRS. And so, you know, most taxpayers should have received income documents near the end of January, some into February. If you happen to be missing a W-2 or Form 1099, there are some things that you can do. Um, Taxpayers should first contact their employer or the issuing agency to ask for copies, which essentially is uh, DFAS. And if they can't get a copy from from DFAS, then they can contact the IRS for help. And just know that they may need to file an amended return if they filed with missing or incorrect information, or if they received the corrected Form W-2 or a uh, previously missing Form uh, 1099 after they've filed their return um, and the information differs from their their previous estimate. It's always important to remember to use the same names that are on your social security card. Uh, I have seen um, returns rejected for that reason. And then taxpayers should double check that their bank account numbers are correct. So they may want to print out their return to review it on paper before submitting it to the IRS. And um, just remember, you know, people can always amend their returns later if need be, but it's certainly much simpler uh, getting it right the first time. Well, Susan, we have packed a lot of information into this podcast episode, and at the same time, we've only touched the surface of things. And we really hope to have you back to cover more military-specific tax-related topics. We, we just thank you so much for being with us today. Absolutely, Bruce. I'm happy to join you and, and pass along any tidbits. Um, so it's, uh, it's my favorite time of the year. It is. Well, happy holidays to you. Thank you. Susan Mitchell is executive director of the Armed Forces Tax Council. And we want to remind you that Military One Source is an official resource of the Defense Department, and we want to hear from you. We have a link in our program notes, and you can let us know what you think about this episode or other episodes, and you can let us know what you'd like us to talk about in future episodes. The Military One Source podcast is available wherever you listen to your podcast, so be sure to subscribe because we cover a wide range of topics to help military families navigate military life. I'm Bruce Moody. Thanks so much for listening. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.